Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We are so excited this time of year because this is when we always announce our upcoming class of 25 under 25 winners. And just recently, we announced the 25 under 25 class of 2017. That's the 16th annual. And today, as our guest, we have the founder of one of those companies that's being honored. Her name is Courtney Govro, and she's the CEO and founder of Sphere 3. The way this company came about was that after an experience in a hospital with her youngest son, Courtney found a way to make life better for patients and caregivers. Courtney is the industry-leading expert in clinical communications and point-of-care analytics, and her expertise has been leveraged by a number of hospitals across the United States to improve workflow and deploy best practices. She's a nationally registered speaker, author, and she's also participated in published research notes in the clinical nursing studies with the University of Missouri, Kansas City. So she's quite accomplished in this area, has an exciting, cutting-edge company that I'd love to hear a lot about today. Welcome to the show today, and congratulations, Courtney. Thank you so much. We're very honored to be uh, selected as part of this great group. Oh, well, uh, well-deserved, very much so. Let's go back a ways and talk about what inspired you. As I mentioned, it was an, an incident with your son in a hospital, but, but what about that hospital stay inspired you found a whole company? Um, you know, it's interesting when you experience something with a child and you feel very helpful, helpless, um, how motivated you can get and how quickly. And we worked with a, a fantastic hospital uh, to help us get launched. Um, I was in the hospital room with my youngest, and I had he had thrown up, and I needed some assistance. And we were on what's called infection precaution, so the door was closed. So I pushed that big red button to get assistance, and nobody came for over 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a scary moment, but he was totally fine afterwards. Um, but I had this idea, and so I went to the chief information officer of the hospital at the time and told her, hey, I was a secret shopper, and I want to find a way to make this better, and she let me be on a parents' council, and we were able to uh, work with that hospital to do some really cool, innovative things on patient communication, Um, and I launched a consulting company, and the consulting company soon led to a data analytics company because what we found was people wanted that information in real time so that they could make changes to patient care effectively before the patient even left the doors of the hospital. Right. And previously, they were relying on the nurse call button like you were using and then um, reading reports after the fact. But by then, it's too late. Uh, The incident has come and gone, and the patient has uh, perhaps been helped, perhaps not. If they were helped, maybe not effectively. So uh, this product, well, all of this really boils down to a a product that Sphere 3 has called Aparam, correct? Yes. And aparam is from the Latin word aperio, which means to reveal. And we're revealing information uh, that's already there in the hospital. It's it's contained within these patient-generated data tools like nurse call, cardiac monitoring, uh, real-time location. 
we're taking all of those pieces of data and we're revealing it in an actionable way um, on a mobile platform so that people can make an impact and really help the patients. It's all about making the patients stay better, making them feel better in the hospital, uh, both physically and emotionally. And it has several modules to it. Uh, can you talk a little bit about each of those modules and how sure. they work together? Sure. We really break the product down into three categories. You've got your caregiver workload management, you've got your safety and quality uh, research tool, and then you've got your uh, patient experience satisfaction tool. Um, in the first module, the View It module, uh, we take a different spin on caregiver workload management. Most of the hospitals look at something called acuity. So acuity is basically, uh, in layman's terms, it's if I have this condition, if I'm sick with something, then I need to do these 16 activities in a day to take care of that patient. So the patient has pneumonia, I've got to do these 16 activities. That adds up into an amount of workload, and that's how we manage the workload of the caregiver. Unfortunately, if you've ever been in a hospital, you know that it's not a linear experience. So I may be assigned to the patient, and that patient may be needy. Maybe they're pushing their button often. Maybe they're getting up out of bed and being unsafe and risky. So it causes additional workload. And so the first module really looks at it from that perspective. What variable amounts of workload are occurring and changing the way that the patient is experiencing care. And the caregivers are um, able to execute care. Uh, the next module is a quality and safety module. It's called SnapIt. SnapIt takes a snapshot of a, a specific incident. So let's say a patient fell. Knowing everything that's going on around that patient from a, an eruption standpoint, so was there a code blue? Was there somebody um, falling in another room? Was there something else going on? And where were all my nurses located at that period of time? Sure. That's what SnapIt gives you. The final tool is really, it's where our patent is, and it's probably one of my favorites. It's a leadership and hourly rounding tool called LeadIt. So we can take, if in our hospitals what's happening right now is they have to manage the feelings and the emotion, the perception of the patient about the experience in the hospital. Mm -hmm. And so what the nursing managers do is they'll go room to room and they'll ask the patient specific questions about their care. You know, do you feel like we're coming in to visit you on a regular basis? Are we answering your call light effectively? Is your bathroom clean? I mean, things like that that you wouldn't really think about uh, as part of managing someone getting better, but they're graded on that now. So mm -hmm. um, we have a patent on the comparison between the patient's emotional feeling about their care and the activities and behaviors they're generating and our ability to engage with it as a care team. Okay, and I have seen that likened to uh, Florence Nightingale and her ability to know uh, patients. And there's a, a concept that's now being talked about in your field uh, that's it's just knowing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I was I was pretty enamored with this concept. So as a clinician um, spends time in her field, she has this ability to walk in the room. What I say, it's a mix between magic and science. Mm -hmm. um, she can walk, she or he can walk into the room. They use physical touch, so they may touch the skin of the patient. They may look at the patient, they will talk to the patient, and they will use a number of different pieces of information about the patient that's entered. Right now we use the medical record to facilitate, um, so, so to help with knowing. But there's this whole other level of knowing that occurs that the nurse, it, it's just magic in my words. Um, 
So what a PARAM does is it takes a level of information out from the patient's experience and gives it to the nurse in a real way. So, you know, as a nurse that may have 50 years experience or 30 years experience, they walk in the room and they know. It's instinctual. A nurse that has five years experience may walk in the room and not know. But if she has a tool, a set of tools that can help her facilitate that, then she'll be able to serve you better. And this was recently um, talked about pretty extensively in a a white paper that was a research paper that was released by the Gartner Group. And Sphere 3 was actually mentioned in it and the the APRAM product. Yes, um, it was very exciting. Uh, A few years ago, we were a Gartner cool vendor. And the truth is I didn't know who Gartner was. At that point, I have since found out that they are incredible, and I very much value them. Um, But recently, we were noted as an innovative patient experience record um, in one of their latest papers written by Barry Runyon. It's actually available on our website for download if anybody would like to read it. Um, And your your website is? uh, Sphere3consulting.com. Sphere3consulting.com, and three is the numeral three. Yeah. What does it mean whenever Gartner mentions you in a paper such as this, for those who may not understand the significance? Gartner is a third-party research firm, and their job is to go out and understand market space and provide insights back to hospitals and help with strategic planning in those ways and help with understanding the movement and their very, very well known for predicting the futures in the market. So what will occur in the future time frame? How will, uh, for example, when we were listed as a cool vendor, one of the reasons we were selected is they had this theory called the real-time health system. How do you manage in real time? How do you put data in the hands of people who are managing in that moment and make effective change? Um, why we were selected and why we're noted in that paper, uh, the Gartner Cool Vendors paper, was that we are actually doing that. And they hadn't seen anybody really doing that at that point. And so we really felt good to be recognized by an organization that is influencing where the future of the industry will go. Absolutely. And along those lines, um, one of the things that is occurring right now that I think most people are aware of is this huge demographic shift with the baby boomers entering retirement and just this aging population. Hearing a lot about that right now and how businesses, how government, you know, a number of different um, organizations and entities and just society in general is adjusting for that. Well, within the space that you are in, that has a double whammy because not only will there be more patients, but more nurses will be retiring. So how is your product, Aparam, going to uh, help with that? Um, well, it, it, is a, it is a huge problem for our hospitals because as the population ages, the uh, conditions also are changing. So what people are being admitted for, and people are living longer, so that's affecting. And then the length of stay is affecting. And then how do you transition out of there into uh, the continuum of care is what they call it. So if I'm in the acute care facility, how do I get to the next facility? And once I get to the next facility, how do I get that information about the patient there? So not just the patient medical record, which is a huge issue right now for moving between organizations and facilities. Um, But then what about this experiential data? What about their behaviors and their 
uh, feelings and, and how they like to be cared for. I may get up at 8 o'clock every morning and go to the bathroom. Well, I've created a fall risk uh, environment in that moment because I may get up at 8 o'clock in the morning and every single morning do the same thing and create a, an environment where I could fall and cost the hospital a non-reimbursable event. Um, so all of that is then coupled with the same people who are retiring and coming into the hospitals as aging population. You've got the average age of a nurse is 50. And so you've got a, several, a large group of nurses who will as well retire and have the same, from being a provider in the care system, they will become a user in the care system. Yes, um, yes. So we have to find ways to facilitate knowing, to facilitate um, more efficient care within the walls of the hospital, to leverage the data that's being produced about the patient. That would be the, the data in the EMR that's about the patient. And we also have to leverage what we use, which is patient produced or data produced by the patient. So our data is unfiltered. If you think of the EMR, the EMR is filtered by perception. So the doctor, the nurse sees and understands what's occurring with the patient. They're then entering information. Our information is automatically connect, uh, collected out of cardiac monitors, real-time location, the patient bed, the call light system. And those informations then build a picture of the patient. I call it a three-dimensional picture of the patient's, their experience. Um, and that really helps facilitate that clinical knowing. It also gives us insights into how we're using technology. We think we can sometimes use technology to reduce the amount of human interaction with the patient. Sometimes the data doesn't show that. And we have to be prepared to say, that's okay. The data doesn't show that I can put this piece of technology in and reduce an FTE. That's okay. Right. We need to be okay with that as a society. Yeah, and with the great need that uh, is out there for a product such as Aparum, there certainly there are barriers to entry. It would seem obviously you've got your traditional ones, you know, the technology that's behind it. Uh, you know, not just anybody can go out and create such a system. Uh, there's probably a capital uh, requirement as well. Some of the more traditional ones, but are there other barriers to entry that a company like Sphere Three uh, sees? as they're trying to get a product like Aparum to the marketplace? Um, there are. I, I would say um, nothing frustrates me more than the uh, concept of data ownership. Who owns the data? And frankly, when a hospital has acquired, purchased technology, that technology is then collecting data about the patient the hospital owns that data. They own that information in their own records. And we are finding that there are vendors who are blocking. And, and it is blocking. It's, it's not, you know, some people are like, well, there's, they have to look at the new models of the industry. They have to look at the new models and transitions of how uh, things will adjust. It's just plain blocking. If you think about your data and you call it yours and you write things into your terms and conditions that create barriers for the hospital to understand the patient's stay, um, to me that is just, I, I get very angry. It's very abhorrent to me that you would do that because then the patients can't be cared for because everything we do in HIT, health, health information technology, everything we do has to be focused on does this make the patient experience better? Does this help them heal? Does this help us reduce their length of stay? Does it help us reduce infections? Does it 
everything we do. That should be the question we always ask. And if you're coming into a vendor or a situation where people are using um, legal language or any type of language or any type of, of, of blocking like that, mm-hmm. you should be very hesitant to work with them. I mean, it's, it's your data. What what do you think will be the solution? I mean, um, some of this sounds even a little bit like uh, an IP issue, you know, when it comes to ownership of data, ownership of content. Uh, what do you? And sometimes that's relaxed when there's a public good uh, at stake. So, what do you see uh, needing to be changed, or uh, is there any any hope that this will be changed? I guess. I, I think so. Um, you know, there's a difference. So when you think intellectual property, when I think intellectual property, intellectual property is how it's stored, how it's processed, um, what algorithms are used to interpret it, how is it visualized, those type of things. When you're talking about data and intellectual property, um, those are the big differences. Data, transactional data, just plain old understanding how the technology is working and collecting. We often say, like for a nurse call system, for example, every nurse call system should have its own independent database because it is recording the actions of the electronics. We need to know what the electronics are doing. The interpretation of that piece of information, um, how you are able to, like we have an algorithm right now and we call it the hot list. So after about a four-hour period of stay in a hospital, we can predict whether that patient will be unsafe or unhappy based on some specific parameters. Um, Now, we can run that on any nurse call system, any system that's out there. We can run that on any of these technology tools that I've mentioned earlier, cardiac monitoring, nurse call, RTLS, beds. We can take that information and run our algorithm. The algorithm is intellectual property. The data that's pushing through the intellectual property is just data. Mm-hmm. It's it's not as it's it's not IP. Yeah. So I, I guess you know in layman's terms for um, listeners who are um, trying to uh, put this into some context that they see every day, the address on your house is data. It's in the public domain. Nobody has any kind of claim to that. It's it's an address. The way it is presented in a telephone book or some kind of a directory, um, that that is the part that it has the intellectual property protection, not the address itself. That's data. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. This is just all very, very fascinating. I want to get into a little bit more about your background. You're a serial entrepreneur, Courtney. I mean, um, you've you've run various businesses. You've owned various businesses. Where where did you get this entrepreneurial streak? What what was your um, entrepreneurial uh, motivation? Um, you know, I grew up in a, a household with an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur, and he was. Uh, the first kid in his family to go to college. He he kind of had a vision and a dream, and he wanted to achieve specific things. And he's been able to trans transcend or transfer that entrepreneurial um, drive he has in him right now. And now he does um, businesses missions. So he's helping people build businesses all over the world in support of uh, sharing the gospel. And so my dad has been a big influence on my life in that area. I. Though I will say, I remember growing up, you know, the moments of good and bad. There there are moments of good and bad as an entrepreneur, and you have to be okay with both. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people that don't grow up in a household um, like that, it, it can be a big shock to their system. But, you know, when the floods came, one of my, I don't think, it wasn't a fond memory by any means, but one of the <laughs> memories I have was when the floods came um, years ago and my dad came up to my room to tuck me in and was saying, you know, it's going to be hard. You need to be praying for the employees. We don't have a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the kind of things that if you grow up in an entrepreneurial family, you remember. You remember the wins. You remember the growth and things like that. So I grew up in that um, that structure. But I also, you know, when some girls were reading, you know, books about, uh, some fiction book. I was reading Jack Welch. I, I enjoy that kind of thought process. <laughs> sure. I, like to, I like business. I, my husband teases on weekends. Sometimes he's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I decided to write a business plan. He goes, I'm not having another business. And I'm, I go, well, I know. It's just for fun. I, I like the thought process behind creation uh, when it comes to business. Yeah, and absolutely, and, and the success that you have had uh, bears that out. But I, I really don't think we can hear enough of the message that you just delivered um, about the good and the bad of business. Of course, being in an entrepreneurial family, you had no illusions. But as you say, uh, business ownership can be painted as a very glamorous type of endeavor. And all of us who own businesses know that, yeah, there's highs, but there's also lows, and you need to be prepared for the, that. And so I think that the uh, the more you hear that and the more we create that kind of awareness, the, the fewer <laughs> entrepreneurs out there that are going to be disappointed that maybe they know, they'll know a little bit more about what they're getting into. Courtney, again, congratulations on the 25 Under 25 Award. So happy to see you get that honor uh, that's coming up on March the 4th, 2017. The gala will be down at the Marriott downtown. We hope you'll all come out and join us. Tickets will go on sale January the 3rd. And you can come meet entrepreneurs like Courtney and the uh, owners of the other 20 24 companies being honored. We'll have about between seven, 800 people out there that night. It's really a big deal in Kansas City, and, and we'd love to have you join us and celebrate all these companies. One more time, your um, website, Courtney, for people who may be interested in more information. Uh, sphere, the number three, consulting.com. Sphere three, consulting.com, and three is the numeral three. Thank you so much, Courtney. Really appreciate having you on the show today and learning about all the important work that you're doing. Thank you again for having me, and and thanks for all that you do for a small business in our community. It doesn't go unnoticed, and uh, it's very important for those of us that are uh, building these businesses to have uh, someone like you supporting us in the media world. Oh, thank you so much. It's what makes our world go round, actually. So uh, getting up and uh, working with people like you every single day. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Twitter at ithinkbigger or on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.